Ever wanted a career in football? From TV deals to player transfers, football is now a global, multi-billion dollar industry in need of qualified professionals who know the sport inside and out. Brought to you by the Global Institute of Sport, the Masters of Football Business is delivered by experts from Australia and around the world. Learn online with unique access to networking and guest speaker events at the iconic MCG. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree. Apply now to start in February 2022. Learn more at gis.sport.fnr. gis.sport.fnr. Tunes on the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome to 2022. Uh, I am Nick Hughes, and alongside me, uh, not a new face for the viewers, but a new face for me. Uh, and of course, I missed the last show of 2021 with uh, the one and only Oscar Drew, but I'm here with Oscar, and I'm very much looking forward to it. How are you? I'm all right, Nick. How, how are you? I'm well. I'm uh, I'm I'm pumped up after. Uh, a lovely episode of the Green Room, and uh, looking forward to some uh, some Premier League chat on the EPL show. But before we get stuck into that, we've uh, we've been having a bit of a giggle uh, off air before we started this show. Um, now, Oscar, you haven't watched Sunderland till I die. I have not. I, uh, I just I wasn't just, aware just, this just, was such a point. Just of wanted just wanted you to extend on that for me, if you can. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what to say. I, I haven't watched it. I, I okay. saw Homework. it. I saw it. I, I understand that it's a part of the footballing culture in lots of ways. But, but I decided that I had better things to do with my time. Evidently, you know what? That is, that's a fantastic answer, and I, uh, I, t- I totally respect it. So, um, fair play. We'll move on, <laughs> and we'll talk EPL on the EPL show. Who would have thought? Um, I haven't, uh, obviously, first show of 2020, so we haven't uh, been on the airwaves for about a month. And 2020, we've gone 20- back in time. Wow, <laughs> we, we sure have. 2022, uh, as you can hear, Josh Parrish is here, uh, ready to chime in whenever he whenever he wants to, whenever he feels like it. Um, yeah, New Year, and as always happens uh, in this time period, the, the winter silly season, Plenty of games. They're not being postponed at this rate. Uh, plenty of transfer wheeling and dealing. We've also got uh, AFCON, of course, to contend with in the Premier League uh, at the moment. So, I mean, it's uh, it's a bit of a, a bit like throwing a dartboard to decide where to where to start on this show. Mm. Um, given uh, the the last episode with uh, Josh and yourself, Oscar, the uh, Discussion of your support or, or perhaps lack thereof of, of Everton. Mm. Maybe we'll dive straight in uh, on the Toffees and the. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a love affair with Rafa Benitez, but it's uh, it's it's broken up. No, I I think you're right to dismiss the label as a love affair. I think that's I think that's a fair point. No, um, it didn't really go well from the start, did it? From 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 the moment he was appointed, you know, I don't know if I've seen a many less enthusiastic responses. Well, it wasn't just actually a lack of enthusiasm. It was an active disgust, an active, I can't believe this is happening kind of 
kind of level. And it started okay. He, he, he got off to an okay start, got some decent results. Everton, okay start to the season, but it's it's really fallen apart the last couple of months. Yeah, it's Josh and I have spoken loads about Everton in, uh, in a few of our shows and it, it just seemed an appointment that was set for any an inevitable doomsday uh, at some point. It was one that as soon as it was announced, I mean, as soon as it even rumoured, it was sort of, you know, could this actually happen? Surely this wouldn't actually happen. And, you know, we've seen, you look at Jose Mourinho, he's revered by Chelsea, or at least was perhaps not so much anymore because of the fact that he's gone to Manchester United and Tottenham. But even still, you feel like when he signed for probably United more so than Tottenham because I guess Tottenham have that direct sort of London rivalry. But Chelsea fans didn't really care that he that he went to those clubs. I don't think anyway. Maybe some did. Um, but the, the Benitez thing, like Liverpool fans didn't like it. Everton fans didn't like it. And you feel like the fans of the rest of the clubs were just getting ready on the couch with their popcorn and thinking, gee, this is going to be fun. Well, I think that... By this weekend's game against Brentford, Liverpool fans were pretty happy with Rafa. I think that on the basis that, you know, they were, I think it was the 70-odd minute singing yep. his name, chanting Rafael Benitez uh, on, on the afternoon he'd been sacked. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, look, I think I think you've summed up large parts of it. I'm not really sure who who, benefit, who benefited from that, who was going to benefit, who, what was the plan, what was foreseen uh, by the Everton board. I don't really understand. Um, yeah, it's... It's really, it's really tough, I think. Obviously, any job in the Premier League as a manager is tough and just to For be sure. put so far on the back foot from the start, mm. I, I, I don't really see how, how anything else could have, could have happened. With that being said, you know, I obviously wasn't here when he was first appointed to give my opinion then <laughs> and I suppose the more optimistic side of me would almost say something like who was a better manager at the time who was out there than Rafa Benitez. You know, he's, a good, he's proven that he, he can manage in multiple okay, uh, in multiple situations over the years. And, that, and that's true. And so I guess in that sense, it's, you know, if you're going to lose Ancelotti, Rafa Benitez was just about the best manager that, that was left out there. So th- there, there is some world where I can see some logic behind it, but just there are so many unnecessary barriers to introduce there that, mm. that it's it really made it a, a tough gig. Yeah, and I think in... In all fairness to uh, Rafa himself, I think uh, if you talk about a baptism of fire, he he really didn't have it easy. You know, he he comes into a club with um, not a great deal of money. We'll we'll put it that way. I think the you know the headline signing was Demarai Gray for two million pounds, and you know to be fair to him, he's um he's done quite well, and particularly when you compare it to to how his teammates are done. But other than that, it was Andros Townsend on a free. Uh, and he brought back Salomon Rondon, who, you know, was hearkening back to his Newcastle days three or four years ago, which really just stunk of a, you know, we have no money, so who's available, you know, on, on a cheap wage or, or on a free transfer? So not only that, you know, does he, he not really get to strengthen the squad as perhaps he might have liked, particularly when you look at Everton spending in years gone by, but then three, four games into the season, I think he's only played three games. Dominic Calvert-Lewin goes down with an injury. He hasn't come back. Richarlison has uh, been in and out of fitness as well. And uh, and then Luca Dean, who's your, probably your best player at that point, 
um, you know, you have a falling out with him and he's out the door and it's just it's just been one uh, disaster after another. So where do, where do Everton go from here? Well, I, I, look, as you're speaking, there are just so many things running through my <laughs> mind that I, 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 just, I, I want to say. And so, I mean, so by this weekend's game against Norwich, Everton looked hopeless. Like, like they looked like a shell. There was no drive. There was no enthusiasm in that team whatsoever. They were out-tempoed and out-driven out energized by mm. a Norwich team, which have had that happen to them time and time again this season. And that's been kind of like one of their most obvious weaknesses is that they can't match it with the teams who kind of up the tempo. And yet they went and absolutely smashed Everton in that sense, scored the two goals in two minutes. It, like, and, and, you know, there's a degree of misfortune in that Michael Keno goal was, was a bit unlucky, yeah, that's yeah. true. But, you know, the whole game, you, you're watching it, and I have no idea how Everton were going to score. It didn't make any sense. I know that they did. It was a and it was a, a scrappy goal at that, and yeah, fair play to to Rich Allison for the overhead kick that it was. But you know that sort of rebounded corner. It's a, it's not not exactly beautiful football that creates the goal. So Everton got a lot better in the second half when Rich Allison comes on, when Rondon comes off because Rondon is just so wasting space. <laughs> He's just this slow log. Yeah. Sorry, just to chime in here. Ah. Uh, I think signing or selecting Salomon Rondon is a sackable offence, apart from anything else <laughs> that Rafa Benitez did at Everton. Agreed. It's like, and you can you can go back to the misfortune of Dominic Calvert-Lewin getting his injury as he did, and he's clearly not fully fit yet either. And like that, that's all true. I don't know why Rondon's the answer to that. I don't know who goes. I'm missing a Premier League quality striker. What's Salomon Rondon doing? I don't mm. understand. But you know, not. Ignoring that, moving on from, from, from the small scale, the I know that this show as well as many other avenues has spoken a lot about the transfer business that Everton have done over the last five years since Mashiri came in, all the wasted money, all the poor signings, the poorly constructed squad, the bit where you've, you've got players that don't work together, too many in the same position, not enough in another position, and it didn't make sense. And the overpay, overpaying for players... I understand that that's been talked about to death. And at this point in time, I'm kind of reflecting on whether I think that's almost been the scapegoat. It's kind of been the, the red herring that's thrown us off the broader, bizarre decisions that are being made behind the scenes at Everton that mm. just don't make any sense. So the Rafa Benitez appointment just doesn't make any sense. The the signings just don't make any sense to, to not only appoint Rafa Benitez, but to give the amount of control and power that Benitez was given. So he's gone and he's wreaked havoc. He's gotten rid of a whole bunch of... <laughs> people behind the scenes obviously Luca Dina is also gone like like that's such a huge hole that's been left there and that's it's just been consistent bad decision after consistent bad decision beyond transfers and and, and I think that the transfers almost take away from the fact that there's this disconnect between decisions being made mm. at board level and the fans on that note I mean if you look at, if you think about who Everton's managers over the last five years have been so you've got Rafa Benitez you've got Carlo Ancelotti you've got Marco Silva uh, even back to Roberto Martinez, like mm. Ronald Koeman, all these people. These are all, you know, not Everton people, whatever that means. What, what, whatever that concept, yeah. but how, however um, much credit you want to give that. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the the previous managers because I've been uh, tapping away and, uh, and looking to bring them up because it, it certainly felt like there haven't been very large intervals between uh, previous managers and... And certainly that is the case. So Roberto Martinez, who of course had Everton so close to to the top four in the the 2013-14 season with a a young and and very vibrant and and bursting onto the scene, Romelu Lukaku, Ross Barkley was 
uh, playing his best football at that time as well. And in Seamus Coleman and, and Leighton Baines, they probably had the best fullback pairing in the in the Premier League at the time and, and did for a, a large stretch of years while, while both those players were at their best. But he was sacked at the end of the 15-16 season. And then you just look at the list of them. Ronald Koeman lasted barely a year. Um, David Unsworth has done a couple of, of caretaker roles. Uh, Sam Allardyce was probably up there with the Rafa Benitez one that sort of just left um, left a lot of people scratching their heads, I let, think. Let, let me just say, there was some logic to the Sam Allardyce one because he came in when Everton were well and truly embroiled in relegation. Like, like that was well and truly a, a threat. And he did get Everton out of <laughs> the, that. The and, classic, and the classic Allardyce he, he saviour job. He did what he does best. and that, so, <laughs> so at least there was, there was some sense to the Allardyce appointment. And did the Everton fans appreciate him for his efforts? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is the thing that makes the Rafa Benitez thing all the more baffling, is that we know that compared to, say, Bobby Martinez, the game style that you know, Allardyce and Benitez want to play is not what the Everton fans want to see. Yeah, no, for sure. But like, like there, there, there's, I don't think it's as prescriptive as when we talk about, you know, the Barcelona philosophy or the Arsenal way. I don't think it's that kind of level, but there's clearly some expectation that this team is on the front foot, has mm. some authority, can go to a Norwich and boss the game. That's what the Everton fans kind of, I think, are clinging on to. Because if you think about it from an Everton fan's perspective, if you've, you know, you've become disenfranchised with winning the league or even finishing top four feels like so, so distant and particularly over the last 10 years. So what have you got to hold on to? And it's this, we can go and watch this team and they give it a crack and they go really hard and, and, and they play attractive football. And that's kind of what you've got left to hold on to. And so Benitez, that was never going to be the case. We all knew that was never going to mm. be the case. And, and, you know, he said it's all about results and stuff. And if you don't get results, then it looks like a mess. So I, I, I just think that speaks to how bizarre it was to appoint Benitez because it's contrary. It's the antithesis of what Everton mm. wants to be or wants to look like. Even if they're not playing uh, technically proficient football or uh, particularly uh, proactive football, I think the fans want to see them, if they're defending, at least defend on the front foot. Mm. And Benitez's style is very passive. It's very set up shop, then we won't press, we'll let the opposition come to us and then we'll capitalise on their mistakes and, and spring on the break. And that's what he's done. His entire coaching career has been built on that uh, well-drilled defensive approach that's you know not much fun to watch, but it gets results. And then when he started to not get results at Everton, mm-hmm. it quickly, quickly fell apart. That's when it- but if Spiraled. they can't have, you know, champagne football, Everton probably want Jordan Pickford going through people's knees. That's that's <laughs> what they want to see. Yeah, we're not we're not going to talk about Jordan Pickford <laughs> well, going like, through knees. <laughs> that's why they should give the job to Big Dunk Ferguson. Dunks. I think that it, would be relatively well received. It, it would make the most sense, you know. I mean, to be honest, uh, Wayne Rooney is a, a name that's been in the running, which obviously came through Everton, then mm. returned to Everton after. Um, was it after Man United or after had he already been in America? I can't remember. Anyway, he ended up back at Everton Came toward, from United. towards the end of his career. Um, yeah, it was straight from United. Yeah, he yeah. went to Everton, then he and then he went to, to MLS. DC. In yep. His Everton pajamas. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. of course. Um, and uh, and Frank Lampard is is the other name that uh, seems to be being thrown around. But Duncan Ferguson, the Everton fans loved it when Duncan Ferguson had that you know few weeks in charge. Uh, in between, in between Marco Silva and Carlo Ancelotti, as it was, I particularly until the end of the season, I don't see, I don't see a worse decision that they could make. Uh, I think you know, 
the 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 classic cliche of you know he understands the club he knows the values um but i mean you know he had his lucky sweatband and he he got the fans pumping and you know goodison park is is a great ground and and the everton fans are a passionate bunch and uh it, it seems that certainly the you mentioned the word oscar disconnect that as well as the disconnect between rafa benitez and the board and and the hierarchy at everton there seems to be a massive dis- disconnect from the stance to the the pitch uh, at Goodison Park, and look, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm a, I'm going to be very open in saying that I, I'm enjoying it. Yep. But uh, from an Everton yep. point of view, you hope that um, you hope that they do get better. But I, like you said, I I do also feel like, and I am wary as a, as a Liverpool fan on commenting on it too much, but. I do get a sense that Everton are clinging on to this sort of what they used to have where they were they were the perennial best of the best for for so many years with David Moyes on shoestring budgets and he did a fantastic job with them um you know right through from Yakubu to you know Phil Jagielka leading the defense for, for so yeah. long yeah you know yeah. they were I mean, not great teams to watch necessarily, but they got results. They were finishing above Liverpool sort of more often than not for a, a brief period of time. But very brief, very brief. Yeah, <laughs> not not brief enough in uh, in my eyes. But you know, that's they they've stayed at that level and they've they've tried these hail mary passes with James Rodriguez. That I mean, he he started well, but I never saw that working. You know, Carlo Ancelotti again was a hail mary. I'm surprised that he even bothered going there at all um at the time and you know while while that's been happening your Leicesters have come up um your Wolves have come up and you know Brighton are, are playing well now as well and you know slowly slowly Aston Villa of course had a great season last season West Ham and West Ham of course yeah and slowly slowly you know Everton are may, maybe they're not actually playing any worse than they ever were but you know, other teams are, are are just getting much better. I think if you if you think about or talk about what Everton need right now, and, and kind of the point that I was going to make about, you know, you, you describe them as hail mary plays, but these these you know mar- these managers who are who are foreign, who have a reputation, who are mm. you know intended to kind of elevate Everton to the next level, because Everton's going to spend all this money on these big spend all this money on signings and managers and become this worldwide metropolitan club kind mm. of thing. Um, I, I think the the appeal of someone like Duncan Ferguson is that he's, you know, that he, he's the, the, the most kind of heart Everton kind of person yeah. that you can get, which yeah. is the opposite of what, of what Everton have seen. And so I wonder if you just need someone like Duncan Ferguson to come in, um, reconnect the fans with the club, re-kind of establish or reaffirm what Everton's about. These are all such footballing cliches, I know. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, <laughs> you, can, you can't of, go wrong with a nice cliche. In, in terms of what the Everton fans will be feeling right now, I imagine that they would be leaning back on these kinds of cliches and that, that that's what that's what it wants. It's, oh, oh, I want to love this club again. I want to I want to get behind mm. them and stuff. And, you know, if you'll get anything from Duncan Ferguson is, is you'll get a team who will go in hard and as Josh so eloquently put, get Jordan Pickford breaking kneecaps, like, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, if, if, uh, if all else is, if, if all other hope is lost, then at, at least, you know, they can, uh, the new manager or, or whoever it is, whatever it is, whatever power descends on Goodison Park can uh, 
inspire yeah some sort of energy I think from the players and the and the fans as well because I think the players were were probably certainly uh, lacking in a certain level of uh, of motivation towards the end of that stint as well. And let me just add one more thing on on the potential managers. For sure. Um, you know, the first thing when when you're talking who's going to take over, my, the first thing my mind goes to is why would anyone come to Everton? I don't know why anyone would come to Everton. It doesn't make sense. I know we've had this spree of managers mm. that are these super high caliber reputation international managers. Wayne Rooney is really interesting because he's one of the few managers who I'd say, well, in terms of the state of the club, he'd be making an upgrade yeah. to Everton. Yeah, true. Because, you know, trouble. a mess. So in, in that sense, I can see why Wayne Rooney, like why that would work for Wayne Rooney. I mean, you mentioned Frank Lampard. I don't know why Frank Lampard would want to do that. You, why would you make think, your life so hard? I think Frank Lampard's desperate for another shot in the Premier League, to be honest. I think he knows that... Don't make your life so difficult. Like... Like, yeah, you're well, just setting yourself up to fail. I it's think. it's gonna be it's gonna be super interesting. I, I mean, the of the names that I've seen, I I I think Rooney will um will be given the job, um as a, a an early guess maybe. Um, I think Duncan Ferguson should be given the job for the rest of the season. Um, but you got you got names that are that are available that are, are kicking around. You've got um Nuno, who of course was was sacked by Spurs. You know, his, he, he, will his, resolve the Rafa Sam Allardyce problem. <laughs> no, exactly. That's yeah. you know, his his reputation has taken a massive hit, but he's still, I think, you know, I, I mean, case in point, the the fact that Tottenham hired him, he's still sort of seen as the this engineer behind Wolves's brilliant promotion and slow ascension up the the Premier League table. So you know, he's someone that's available that you could potentially uh, see them going in for. I mean, God forbid they look at Nigel Pearson, who was uh, <laughs> removed from uh, from Watford uh, recently. But we are not uh, we are not the Everton show. As much as I love picking on Everton, we are the EPL show, uh, and we'll take a quick break for now. Uh, on the other side, what have we got, Oscar? There's uh, there's too much. I, I think it'd be remiss of us to not uh, talk about Aston Villa. Um, the holistic view of the Premier League and what's happened since Christmas because it's been blown wide open. It, well, the opposite. In, 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 the opposite in of that. In certain areas of the table, it's, it's uh, been, it's been blown, shut. blown it's wide open. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. so uh, plenty to come still on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. back to the EPL show. Before we do anything further, I must address uh, a major, major error on my part. Um, I misintroduced my guest star, which is uh, is terrible form for me. So hand on heart uh, and hand in the air, I, I do apologise. Oscar Rutherford, oh. welcome to the EPL show. Thank you, Nick Hughes. <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you. No, that's all right. I, I, I understand. It happens. All right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll rectify that from uh, from the beginning uh, for next week. Uh, moving right along, um, if you've just joined us or, or missed uh, a portion of the beginning of our show, we've just had an in-depth discussion on all things wrong uh, at Everton Football Club. Of course, Rafa Benitez was sacked uh, over the weekend after uh, Everton became just the third team to lose to Norwich City in their 21 games uh, so far this season. Norwich, while we're um, 
touching on them, I mean, worth pointing out that the, the relegation-doomed Norwich are all of a sudden in 18th, one point shy of, uh, of 17th placed Watford, who do have two games in hand on the Canaries, but all of a sudden Dean Smith seems to be uh, engineering a, a little bit of a, a turnaround at Carrow Road, and uh, Dean Smith, that appointment seems to really be working out for both teams involved because Aston Villa are uh, enjoying a, a lovely little rejuvenation uh, under Steven Gerrard, not only on the pitch, uh, but also in the transfer market. Felipe Coutinho, uh, of course, the uh, the first uh, sort of big-name arrival, if you like, into the Premier League in the January window, comes on against Manchester United uh, for his debut, assist and a goal, 2-0 down, 2-all draw. Couldn't, uh, couldn't be much better. No, that's right. Um <laughs> I think that I think that's right. No, I, I think well. First of all, just briefly on Norwich, I think you're right. I think that Dean Smith he's added some grit to that Norwich mm. team in a way. So, for example, the Everton game at the weekend, Norwich's capacity to see out that game when it were you know it wasn't pretty, it was pretty down and dirty, but they got three points, and that's the kind of thing that they perhaps were lacking a bit yes, under Daniel yeah, for Parker. sure. Although we wouldn't know because. Maybe they turned the corner against Brentford and we'll never know if, if Daniel Fahu was going to go on to bigger and better things. But, you know, I th- so I think... That's true. He was sacked after a win, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> so who knows how much that was Dean Smith's work. But no, they, they, they look like a, a side more more capable of seeing out games. So that's mm. good. But yes, as you say, things are going really well for Aston Villa. Um, I think that it's one of the, you know, clear benefits, the, the add-on benefits that you get with Stevie G as your manager is that players want to come play for Villa in a way that they perhaps wouldn't. If he weren't there, um, as you say, Coutinho came on. Uh, I don't think he was end, He was credited with the assist in the end, was he? Because I don't think he actually... Probably unofficially. It might have been, been a fantasy Premier League assist um, because, I mean, technically it did come off of his boot. but yep. it, uh, Or did it? Was it a deflection? or Either way, he, Either way, he, let's, let's say he created the goal. He, he was clearly involved yes. in the first goal, scored the second. Yeah, but it's all going well. Uh, alongside, of course, Lucas Digne, who mm. was also excellent. I thought I thought he 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 was really really good, and just on Villa in general. I mean, every time I watch Villa under Stevie G, they they look really good. I really like watching Villa. I think that they look really positive. I think that Coutinho is a great signing. I mean, I don't know whether they'll find a way to get him and Emi Wandia to play together or not. But mm. but regardless, they've got strong players throughout the pitch. Um, you mentioned the game against United, where beyond the first half hour. And particularly in the second half, they were so much the better team, and and the, the draw was the least they deserved. So I think that he's he's clearly got things going right there. Absolutely. I mean, when when Dean Smith was was sacked, I was uh, I was quite surprised, yeah. and and honestly, I I I thought it was the wrong decision at the time because I, I think there, I always thought there would be that sort of inevitable. <laughs> I don't want to say crash down to earth, but that drop off for, reversion for to Aston the mean, Villa, yeah, kind of who yeah. who had the, you know, they went from surviving in the Premier League due to uh, a blocked goal line camera view against Sheffield United the season before to where did they end up last season seventh or eighth, um, and uh, of course a, a lot of that was was down to to Jack Grealish's 11th, brilliance eleventh. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. They were they. <laughs> Sarcasm, <laughs> no, Oscar. No, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, they were um, that they were they were excellent for most of the season, and I think to Jack Grealish's injury 
um, around January, sort of February time, probably coincided with a, a bit of a dip in form. It's it's a great point, the Jack Grealish thing, because there was a, not only could you say that just generally they might have dropped down a bit, but you know they lost Jack Grealish, who Absolutely. was like their whole team, like and he you, was so central. You they, look you look down the years, you look at how Liverpool responded to losing Luis Suarez, you look at how Tottenham responded to losing Gareth Bale, you look at how even to an extent Chelsea responded initially to losing Eden Hazard, although Eden Hazard hasn't obviously done very well where he's gone and Chelsea weren't, didn't, you know, to, to quite to the levels of, of Tottenham and Liverpool didn't uh, necessarily fail so badly. But there was going to be, always going to be, you know, he's he's the captain, so there, there needs to be a new leader that steps up. There needs to be a new creator because when you've got a guy like that in your team and, and you're a team like Aston Villa, there has to be a certain mentality of, you know, if we're in trouble, just kick kick the ball in number 10 and say, you know, go on, see what you can do. So there's, you know, there's different work, a different pattern that they've they've got to figure out. There's players coming in to replace them. Um, in particular, you know, the, the Leon Bailey signing, I think he was a very exciting one in the summer, but one that I immediately thought, eh, if, if he's going to succeed, it's going to take a bit of time. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously Leon Bailey hasn't really done much. Mm. It's, it's, it's been a rough time for him, but... You know, even accounting for that, you know, across the pitch, I mean, they're missing a few players, whether that's Marvellous and Campbell, whether that's John McGinn, they didn't mm. play at the weekend kind of thing. Like, they're, they're not 100% fully strength. They are, who was it? What One of the centre-halves went off after half-time and everything. They're, they're, there's, they're, it's, they haven't had a fully fit squad the whole time kind of thing, but they look so solid. They look like they have lots of good squad depth. They've got lots of creative outlets. You can see different ways that they can score goals. I think their fullbacks mm. are excellent. Matty Cash, I think, is is having an amazing yeah, tremendous. season. Um, you know, uh, I mentioned Emi Buendir. He hasn't had the best season so far, but against United, he was kind of every every time Villa went forward, it was through Emi Buendir, and it didn't exactly get the results that he was after, but he that was the best game I've seen him play. Mm. Um, it's It's they they they've they've had a lot more adversity than you'd probably know than you'd expect or you, you'd register, but they're performing really really well at the moment. And, and so whilst the Dean Smith sacking might have been harsh, I think that Stevie G's got them taking them perhaps to another level. Absolutely, at the time it might have might have seemed harsh, or, or people you know, such as myself, like I said, might have thought it would have been the wrong decision. But you can absolutely not deny the fact that it is so far looking like very much the right decision because uh, Gerard's come in and done fantastically well. You feel like a, a move like that on Dean Smith can go one of two ways. It can, you know, like it has, prove to be the right decision and that breath of fresh air is what's needed or it can be that, you know, maybe there there is just a little bit of that um, uh, that hangover from the season before, the hangover from losing Jack Grealish and it can, you know, removing the manager who had done a decent enough job, can, I guess, sort of uh, pu- push things further down. But as it is, um, Gerard, I think he he understands the um, the project as well of, of what Aston Villa, the project that Aston Villa is. And I think in some ways, maybe Rangers fans w- wouldn't like someone comparing Rangers to Aston Villa, but in some ways, I, I think the project is very similar. You know, he joined Rangers a, a few years ago as obviously a, a club that had had all kinds of issues had come back up through the the lower leagues in, in Scotland and he built them into the the team that not only dethroned Celtic but blew Celtic out of the water and uh, and went an entire Scottish Premier League season undefeated and again Aston Villa 
not in terms of, you know, that Rangers and Celtic are the biggest clubs in Scotland, but Aston Villa are a similarly sized club, a very big club with deep history in the English game. You know, Gerrard's come in and, and understood that uh, and, you know, He's come with a clear vision. He's got a great staff behind him that were, were fantastic at Rangers as well that he's he's brought over. Michael Beale and, and Gary McAllister, his assistants uh, from his time in Scotland as, as well. And really, you you have to say that no, none of them have uh, have put a foot wrong at the moment. And the the recruitment so far, the, the, the first opportunity that he's had to bring in some new faces, Coutinho obviously makes a, an instant impact and... And Luca Dean, like you said, um, a, a great debut for twenty-five million pounds in today's market is is quite cheap for a, a great left back. Not not a good left back, but a great left back. Luca Dean has uh, has been one of the top fullbacks in the the Premier League for some years. But Jacob Ramsey is um, he's a superstar. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, I, I love watching him and uh, Chukwamaker. I hope I'm uh, I hope I'm saying his name. Uh, the the other young. Uh, Aston Villa midfielder, and they're they're very impressive. And, and I was impressed by Aston Villa last season. I was impressed, maybe less so by them early in the season. But you always felt, you know, they have enough quality. Like I said, you mentioned those names that weren't involved. Marvelous Nakamba, John McGinn, the obvious one, is a is a fantastic player as well. So Aston Villa really um can uh, can only go up. I think Josh had something to say. Yeah, I uh, if you if you're done on Villa. You've said enough. Yeah, I, think so. I think we yeah. need to talk about the league leaders at some point. And <laughs> the, the lead has uh, gone to 11 points over the festive period at the top of the table. Liverpool, of course, having a game in hand to make some of that up. Um, but they extended their uh, their lead over Chelsea with a win over the weekend. It's 12 points. Uh, City have a, a, another game in hand on, on Chelsea as well. And Guardiola was absolutely beaming after the game, not because they won, but because across 180 minutes against Chelsea this season, they only allowed one shot on target. It's outrageous. So, I mean, this wasn't so much uh, a defeat for Chelsea as a chloroforming. They were basically bundled in the back of the city bus and didn't really participate in the game. Mm. And one of the most interesting um, pieces I've read, opinion pieces in in the Premier League uh, so far this year, has been Ken Early's uh, on how Manchester City leaves you feeling a little cold despite how good they are, despite how technically brilliant they are. Um, you know, his lead in, uh, has any team before been so good and left behind such a paltry, paltry emotional impression? And I think this is a lot to do with Manchester City's style of play being uh, Guardiola's obsession with eliminating transition moments from the game and not allowing anyone to try anything that is unlikely to result in a goal and therefore being an exciting goal. Like mm. the, the, the unfortunate thing is that the most uh, wealthy team in the league is also the most optimised in that, you know, statistically it's unlikely that a player will score from 30 metres. So City players are generally not really allowed to shoot from 30 metres. Unless unless it's Kevin De Bruyne yeah. bearing down <laughs> on goal uh, yeah, against Chelsea yeah. as, he, as he did on the weekend. But you're, you're exactly right, I think. Um, again, as a Liverpool fan, you know, I, I obviously see uh, or consume uh, a lot of Liverpool-based uh, media on social media or on articles or YouTube videos or whatever. And there's there's obviously that, you know, whether or not it's a manufactured rivalry or not, given the title races that they've been in the last couple of years. But it's something that, that I've seen pop up 
uh, a few times and, and I, I look forward to, to reading that article after the show because I'm interested to see what, what Ken Ely has to say. But I'll read you a little passage from it now, actually. Um, it, this is Guardiola, you know, going on and on to the media, you know, oh, guys, this is so good. One shot, one shot on <laughs> I target. S- I am so happy. More 180 than, minutes. More, more than you believe. <laughs> <laughs> so happy. Um, if the final whistle came as a blessed released, uh, bl- blessed release to all concerned, at least nobody could dispute the city had been the better team. We deserved it, said Guardiola. I like football when it is fair. I was happy to win against Arsenal, but we didn't deserve it. And when we deserve it, we feel better. This clinical smothering of Chelsea felt better than the deliciously unjust 2-1 victory at Arsenal with the crazy 93rd minute winner by Rodri. Most fans would disagree. That crazy Arsenal match with its chaos, controversies and violent swings and momentum was the obvious dramatic highlight of this 12-match winning streak, which has mostly consisted of City taking candy from a series of babies. But then the gap between football as understood and practiced by top coaches like Guardiola and football as understood by and experienced by the fans has never been wider. Mm. And, you know, if you saw the the scenes in the stands after that 93rd minute Rodri winner. I don't think a city, a single city away fan was still wearing their shirt after that <laughs> one went in. You know, that was the, you know, winning when you don't deserve it is almost uh, sweeter as a match going fan. But for Guardiola, you know, because it wasn't quote unquote fair, he doesn't have the same emotional response to it. And I think that's very interesting. And, mm-hmm. you know, our, I'm sure City fans are enjoying, you know, winning all these games and being in contention for so many major trophies, but I don't think the neutrals really relish watching watching City play. The like I, I hear what that's saying and I hear the argument, I really do. But what I what I am struck by is just an overwhelming sense of but this is the direction that football is going in as a whole. This is a symptom of the broader problem, not the problem itself. As in, you know, of course, if you give a team as much money as City have and you allow them to spend all that money and to buy the success that they do, then it makes sense that at some point someone will come along and go, what's the, wh- what's the way that we can play to minimise the opportunity for us to lose to teams that we shouldn't lose to? This is it. All right, we're going to do that. Like, that's what football is, has, uh, hasn't always been, but is becoming. Mm. And that, that I mm. kind of, I feel the same way about the fact that you know, Liverpool and Chelsea always beat Norwich and Burnley. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, football isn't fair. It's not fair. <laughs> it's, it's not. And I don't know, you know, I don't think City are the only ones who are experiencing or benefiting from it being unfair. I think they probably do it more so than lots of other teams. And I accept that point, but, but it's not fair. That's what, that's what we sign up for. We, we still watch. I also think, um, you know, dominant teams of the past have promoked, provoked stronger emotional responses in other supporters. Uh, if yeah. you flash back to, and I know we've all only really seen highlights of these teams, but the initial Manchester United side, a team of bastards essentially with Cantona and Mark Hughes, you know, stepping on people and <laughs> uh, flying in tackles, Roy Keane, you know, that was uh, a team who scored a lot of late winners had mental toughness and strength and all those kinds of qualities and, a battered opposition into submission. Um, you know, the the treble sides of Ferguson were much the same. Maybe they were flashier, but uh, they reserved their brilliance for sort of moments of drama. And there was always kind of competitive tension involved in those games. Uh, so what, what are some of the other dominant sides? Like Mourinho's Chelsea, for example, uh, were the ultimate like kind of wrestling heel in the sense that, you know, they had, um, you know, Frank Lampard and John Terry 
as players that opposition fans love to hate and so yeah. forth. But City f- is just sort of bland to me. Like there are almost no uh, players that you can say the team is actually built around because, you know, you could say, oh, Kevin De Bruyne, he's irreplaceable. And then he misses most of the season and C- City still win the title yeah, comfortably. And sure. Ilkay Gundogan randomly scores 10 goals. <laughs> you know, Riyad Mahrez, Raheem Sterling, these amazing players who City would be just fine if they left you know, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's no, there's nothing to latch onto as as a neutral fan or an opposition fan uh, for this team's identity. It's just a series of like interchangeable pieces. There's not a lot of personality about it. I think is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, there's sort of a a structural perfectionism or something. I've, I don't know, like what to call it. But you, you're exactly right. Where you can just move any of the chess pieces, and it's like. Nothing's changed. Like I mean, part of the like, imagine if the title you cannot if, replace him, but actually yeah. you can and you will. <laughs> exactly. A- imagine if the the title race was super close right now, and Liverpool obviously don't have Mo Salah and, and Sadio Mane now, and you're thinking, okay, well, how's how how are they going to find the goals? And and if City were were in the same scenario and didn't have that outrageous sort of depth how exciting that conversation would be. But, you know, for Man City, like you said, if Sterling and Mahrez are injured, well, I uh, guess we have to play Jack Grealish or Phil Foden or Bernardo Silva or Gabriel Jesus or Ferran Torres up until he left, of course. And, you know, I'm sure they'll strengthen again in the summer and probably sign Erling Haaland or something stupid. And the other thing is the the style of play isn't uh, built around end-to-end. It's the opposite of that. It's a game played in you know, the one half at a time yeah. designed designed to be such so that City don't concede goals in transition. So they monopolize the ball. Mm. So they play it in the half court, so to speak, and commit any number of tactical fouls to stop the opposition going the other way if they need to, very cynically so. I think it's a it maybe also a, as you talk about trends in the sport, Oscar, uh, a result of the kind of analytics revolution in football where you have the, all these XG maps and you know exactly the areas where players are most likely to score goals and therefore, you know, the city, this City team and their dominance has been built around, a, you know, De Bruyne, moments of brilliance aside, uh, a series of tap-ins, essentially. Yeah, that's that has been the Man City goal, that work it wide, the cutback... Um, you know, six-yard box, the, yeah, the, open the, goal. The and it doesn't really matter who that player is. Yeah, on the end I of mean, it. Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, they're they're always there at the at the back post to to prod at home. I've, you know, I I make uh, every effort I can to to remind my Man mm. City fan uh, mates that Gabriel Jesus is a, a tap-in merchant. <laughs> <laughs> but like, how does will this team be remembered? And uh, to me, it it, uh, it only conjures up feelings of indifference uh, if you mm. set aside the kind of um, ethics of the ownership in the FF, FFP stuff. Uh, fundamentally indifferent. It's like the default outcome is City winning the league. Yeah. There's not much, um, yeah. There's, there's there's not too much to be said after the season is is done and dusted when City are are, are the title winners because it's like if you ran the simulation a thousand times and they you know, win at 900. It's, if, if I can just add one thing, it's, it, the Premier League has become, to, to coin a, you know, 
a movie quote or it's become it's become the thing that it's it almost sought to destroy or or was proud that it wasn't in that everyone always said La Liga, Barcelona or Real Madrid are gonna win it every year. Bundesliga, Bayern Munich win it every year, Liga and PSG win it every year. And, you know, the Premier League always had is it gonna be United, Chelsea, City or, you know, Arsenal in years gone by and, and obviously Liverpool now in the last handful of years. It's become that that sort of dominant thing. But Josh said, you know, how um, how would this Man City team be remembered? I'm keen to get your thoughts on yeah, that. Yeah, but I don't want to answer that. I want to say something <laughs> else first. Okay, sure. <laughs> Maybe my apathy levels are just far too high and, and, and the world sucks and I hate everything. I don't know. <laughs> when I say stuff like, you say, you know, Liverpool are different because if Liverpool lose Salah and Mane, for example... That, that team becomes really different and it significantly drops and they can't do the City thing. And I hear that and I accept that. But Liverpool are going to go and spend some money on a better player. They're going to buy... The, I wouldn't the be next... so sure. Sure. <laughs> the big teams will go and replace their players with yes. players and Liverpool yeah. will always be okay and yeah. Luton Town are always mm-hmm. going to be the losers from that relationship. Yeah. Like, I've kind of... I, I accept that it's... Um, an, an, a, to a greater degree, Manchester City are doing that, but... That's what football is, and I, and I think it's a it's a myth. It's a pretend thing that English media and fans have created about the Premier League being meaningfully more competitive than everyone else. Because the same six teams are the ones competing for the six, with you know a few coming in and out every few years. Like it's it's that's what it is, and you know that's no more competitive than Serie A. And I accept that you know and always win the Bundesliga. That is true, except for when Dortmund doing stuff. Like, like all of these leagues are just on this different point of the mm. spectrum, on this different scale of it's not fair. And and so I find it hard to be, you know, particularly to, to have a response. I, I guess that's kind of the point to have a response to Manchester City. <laughs> but, but, but like, no, like to, to feel that that's any less fair or any less appealing than all the other than, than the fact that, that, that than all the other teams that just spend more money and beat all the smaller teams because that's what football is that's what it is I mean what we do but there's always the element no matter the economic uh, I guess inequality in football there's always the element because it's a low scoring game mm. that there can be an upset but city I'm feeling that less and less because the other team is almost not participating in the game you know Liverpool always give you a chance. Say what you like about Liverpool's massive transfer spend in 2018 or whatever, um, but you know they they attack, they leave space in behind. There's often high-scoring games that they're involved in. You know they always give you a chance. Uh, Chelsea sometimes fall short in front of goal and they can be beaten. You know they they but Manchester City and I'm increasingly feeling like they are across a 38-game league season, maybe not so much in the Champions League where Guardiola has the propensity to do something insane and completely change the game plan, like dropping his entire midfield in the Champions League final last year, for example. Um, But across a 38-game season, I think Manchester City increasingly are almost invincible. And in a one-off game against a smaller opponent, where you used to have a little bit of... um, like a, a little bit of end-to-end action, a few a few meager opportunities, a few scraps for, you know, a crystal palace to feast upon. Yep. Now they're only registering a couple of shots a match. It almost can't happen. I, I, I do accept the point that, that Manchester City do do that to a whole new level of, of, of taking the fun out of the game. Like, mm. I, I accept that. That's I dread watching them, really. Mm. I, watch, I love watching the highlights, but I dread watching 90 minutes. Mm. 
And that's that's a kind of an indictment on a team that should be like super entertaining to watch just by being the Harlem Globetrotters, but they're actually quite careful and conservative in the way they maintain possession and don't take risks. Yeah, well, that, that I like... But from Manchester City's perspective, from Pep Guardiola's perspective, that gets him the results and that's what he's there for. Yeah. Like, like, as in, what were we expecting to happen at mm. some point other than a team to exploit that fact and go, How do I, what's the most foolproof game plan that we can have? All right, here it is, let's do that. Yeah, I think the... No, I'm not saying it's not smart. It's obviously yeah, smart. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's just a shame. I, 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 yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not saying that what you're saying isn't true or is wrong. I'm just saying that that's not... That, that doesn't bother me in the way that, you know... Mm. The whole structure bothers me if, if we're going to talk mm. about it, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably a, a deeper conversation to be had over a number of uh, of hours and days and, and months and years pro- uh, probably. But yeah, there, there certainly is that feeling that, you know, teams, particularly the smaller ones, I mean, even as Josh mentioned, the the two Chelsea games against Man City, the, the Manchester derby where, you know, teams Liverpool just... were competitive. Liverpool, Liverpool had well, a fun game with City. We should have beaten them, but we'll, uh, we won't yeah. touch on that one. But yeah, you just get the feeling that teams roll over against against Man City now, which is uh, is upsetting because, um, again, like Josh said, you always felt that you know Selhurst Park was a tough place to go, or Turf Moor was a tough place to go, and you know even as as incredible as those Manchester United teams were, which you know to be fair, I guess they had a they had a little bit of that themselves. The you know, Man United are going to win the league every year sort of thing. But it was at least, yeah, there was sort of some unpredictability, uh, I guess, about it. Whereas City, you know, this 12-match 12, 12 winning streak, we're thinking, oh, only 12, all right. Mm. You know, because it, it will become 13, 14, 15, 16. I mean, what's the record? Is it 16? I think Liverpool did it a couple of times in their title-winning season. City have done it a few times. But, you know, City have Southampton, Brentford... Norwich, Tottenham, Everton. I mean, you can list any list of opponents. It, they, they don't really ever look like losing to anyone except for Liverpool because Liverpool is a team that will um will never back down and uh, and would always take it to them. But look, I mean, you, you can say what you want as well about about all of that and about the money spent, but there's um there's no denying, obviously the. The, the quality that, that they have and, and the job that Pep Guardiola has done and the, and the players that they have, um, I guess, unfortunately, the way of the world and the way of the, the sporting world in particular, the footballing world is you, I guess these days you sort of just put your hand up and say, well, well. That's, and the thing uh, is they're so entrenched. They're so entrenched that losing three or four of these first-team players would almost not do them any harm because they've got this amazing youth academy now mm. and players sort of plug-and-play type players. So... Um, it, it's a real gauntlet that's been laid down to, I guess, the other super clubs who do have, you know, the money to maybe compete with City, to maybe uh, build something approaching uh, what they they have and try and compete with the ball for the ball again and try and beat them at their own game. I don't know. Maybe that's suicide. Thomas Tuchel certainly seemed to think it was. You know, he he didn't take any risks in that game. I guess. Chelsea have to take their fair share of responsibility for how how dull that first versus third affair ended up being. Because yeah. I thought it was, you know, two of the best 11s ever assembled in Premier League history and it was one of the worst games I've ever watched. And that's, <laughs> that's what got me thinking about this. Uh, I love, uh, that's, yeah. Them's, uh, them's the way. Sorry ways. to bring the, uh, yeah, the, the mood of the show down <laughs> yeah. so much. No, not at all. Um, 
I mean, uh, on that note, I think we're... What are we? Are we about an hour in? I can't remember when we started, but we're, we're almost done. Um, might as well run through a, a little bit of a preview of what's to come. Uh, so tomorrow morning, two matches, two decent matches as well on paper. You look at them, Leicester City and Tottenham. Uh, that's at the King Power uh, at 6.30 a.m. Decent time. Uh, get up uh, before work. Tottenham are still unbeaten under Antonio Conte. I still despise Tottenham and think they are absolutely rubbish, but Antonio Conte is getting results uh, at the moment unless they continue to be the ever inconsistent, ever uh, Brendan Rodgersy team that they are. Uh, and Brentford, Manchester United, which uh, of course is a replay of, was it, I think it was Randick's first home match uh, was against Brentford. Um which they won 1-0, I believe. Uh, but United will go to Brentford Community Stadium uh, at 7 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, Brentford coming off a, a 3-0 loss against Liverpool. Their strong start has uh, has really petered out a bit. I think they beat Aston Villa a couple of weeks ago, but 4-1 loss against Southampton, 3-0 loss against Liverpool in their last two. Uh, predictions from you, Leicester Tottenham? Oh, I think these should be fun games. I think... Uh Tottenham will win 3-1. He's going with the scoreline as well. Impressive. Yep. yep. No, I'm, pulling, I'm going out all the stops. I like it. And do you want me to go on to Brentford Man U yeah. right now? I can do it right now. Do it. Uh, uh, United win 2-1. I like it. Uh, well, I mean, I, I have to match you. It's win uh, and football uh, yes. isn't fair, just it, by the way. Yes, cool. for sure. Uh, I'll have to match you uh, on the uh, the scoreline uh, production. Uh, Leicester City 2-0 over Tottenham. Uh, and Brentford United, I'll go with a one another 1-0 one for United, I think. Um, we, of course, have the second leg of the League Cup semi-final on Friday morning, uh, Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, Arsenal should be okay after kicking up a massive fuss and complaining about uh, Liverpool having the audacity to call for a, a postponed game and then doing the Tottenham, exact yeah. same thing themselves against Tottenham at, over the weekend because, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but Arsenal should have most of their players back, I believe, uh, bar obviously Granit Xhaka who was sent off in the first leg. Uh, so that'll be one to keep an eye on. They'll face Chelsea. Uh, the winner will face Chelsea in the final. Uh, and the weekend doesn't really look that exciting. Man United, uh, West Ham. Uh, is a headline fixture. Everton, Aston Villa as well, two teams that we uh, just spoke about. Uh, Luca Dean gets a, a quick return to Goodison Park. Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea, Tottenham. Tottenham. Yep. Leicester, Brighton looks a, a decent one as well. Uh, so, I think Palace, Liverpool will be interesting. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I think United-West Ham is going to be a good game. I, I remember what so happened too. last time. Is Mark Noble oh, coming Noble off the bench penalty, <laughs> yeah. the penalty. Oh, so hopefully we me. get a repeat of that. That yeah. was that was my highlight of the season so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, goodness me. There's n- not like anyone would have watched literally what happened in the Euros two months earlier and thought, let's not bring someone off the bench for the sole purpose of taking one penalty kick. Uh but that'll be a good one at, at Old Trafford uh, Sunday morning. I think Moisey stopped watching the Euros after Scotland got knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Um, Leeds so Newcastle, Flanagan, a bit by the way. So, you know. <laughs> um, Leeds and Newcastle, an interesting uh, little relegation battle. As is uh, Watford Norwich. It's a couple of a uh, couple of relegation six pointers there as well. Uh, so after saying it's not really a very exciting weekend, I think it's quite an I've weekend. just about rattled yeah. off the uh, the entire lineup of games. So yeah. I'll get 
Let's get two predictions from you uh, out of the list of matches. Oh, gee. Throw me a- under. Any, anything that, that you can see happening from uh, from the weekend? Anything that yeah, sticks not, out n- to you? Not necessarily results, you know. It could be someone to score, something to happen. Yeah. yeah. Just hit me with someone. Well, now that you've told me that, Palace are going to beat Liverpool. Get out just, of it. Just putting it out there. I, I can see it happening. <laughs> Liverpool are uh, shaky. You not, don't, well, miss I think a West Ham you. player is going to imitate Cristiano Ronaldo's celebration when they <laughs> score. I think that's going to happen. That's been in the meme universe of late. Yeah, so. And Jesse Lingard's My- probably going to go and join in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I raise you your Crystal Palace to beat Liverpool. Uh, and uh, No, sorry getting my poker techno- uh, terminology wrong. I see your Crystal Palace to beat Liverpool and I raise you a Takumi Minamino masterclass and an 8-0 Liverpool win. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I imagine somewhere between those two is how the game will <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, I think so right. too. Um, oh, a trivia question before we go. Ugh. Which former Melbourne victory player is on staff at Southampton? Former Melbourne victory. What era of Melbourne victory were we talking? Season one. Ugh, I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, you both guys are probably both too young. <laughs> FES did a great interview with him this week. The Austrian uh, Richard Vin Bickler uh, is now okay. Ralph Hasenhutl's assistant oh, at Southampton. Wow. Isn't, Austrian, that, isn't that cool? Austria friends. Yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> oh, and, uh, nice. and he said in that interview that the A-League would be a great place for him to come to start his coaching career once he finally gets his pro license. Oh, wow. That'd be fantastic. So there you go. Maybe you'll end up coaching the victory. That was a great tidbit. And I, I, I was quite heartened to see uh, what he's gone on to since scoring victory's first ever uh, goal at Olympic Park back in the day. Brilliant. So, oh, yeah. good on him. That's wow. fantastic. Um, well, we might as well end it there. And with another Premier League, uh, A-League crossover, Carl Jenkinson signing for Melbourne City tonight, which is a, an interesting little move coming in it right back to replace uh, Nathaniel Atkinson, who uh, is, of course, off to Scotland. So we'll uh, we'll have to keep an eye out for that one. But thank you very much for joining us on the EPL show with myself, Nick Hughes, and Oscar Rutherford, my very esteemed guest. Uh, enjoy your week uh, in Premier League football, uh, and we'll catch you next week. Same time, same place.